J.J. Cooper, Jeff Bonds here, another Baseball America Playoff podcast. We are back a little later today. Sorry, we had a lot of work to do. So this podcast will be getting up just in time for you to listen to it before you dive into today's pair. I'm sorry, not pair. Today's NLCS game. We got Padres Phillies today. Off day as they travel in the American League. And as they travel to New York, which by the way, does not have a roof, so good news for the Yankees after yesterday's roof that uh, that apparently affected the game. But uh, as they travel to New York, the Astros have a two to nothing lead, a somewhat commanding two to nothing lead in this. Last night, as you probably know, as you listen to this, if you don't, spoiler alert. But the uh, Astros won three to two. But Jeff, uh, what I'll, I'll give you the overarching. What stood out about this game so far or what stood out about this series so far to you most? Um, Yeah, I just think it continues to be the Astros' ability to execute on both sides of the ball. Um, You know, a lot of strong defensive plays uh, really across the board um, with the Astros. Uh, The pitching has been tremendous. Uh, and I think in the end, you know, that's sort of been the difference in the series. We haven't seen Garrett Cole go yet. Um, you know, for the Yankees, we've seen Severino. Um, and uh, who went in game one? I'm like totally drawing a blank. Oh, um, Jamison Tyon. Forgot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we haven't seen. We haven't seen. We, we haven't, haven't seen, seen their high end guys yet. But yeah. the thing is with the Astros is sort of one through five, even six. They can roll out arms that are. Probably number twos, I would say, in a majority of the teams in the major leagues, uh, even, you know, the highest budget, um, most competitive clubs, they have amassed uh, a lot of arm talent that just sort of all blossomed around the same time. And they added it to an old core that already knows how to win. Um, They just seem so difficult uh, to defeat. Now, I felt like Yankees put up a fight last night. There was certainly an opportunity. Um, Momentum swings in that game a little bit for sure. Um, you know, I thought in particular, uh, you know, double play, um, made by Glaber Torres, but the turn by Peraza at the back mm-hmm. was just his footwork on that play was tremendous. And I know we had been talking offline and separate conversations as we're working through our top tens, uh, behind the scenes for, for all the readers and, uh, subscribers, we talked about Peraza's defense and it was like a clear cut version <laughs> of how good he can be. Um, just a great player on the bag. That was one of the moments that sort of stuck out for me. Thought it was a momentum swing. They got that, you know, the big the big swing from Judge. Um, doesn't leave the park. It was kind of a, you know, a, a funny game in that sense because you had, you know, of course, uh, Alex Bregman's three-run home run in the third. It was only hit a little bit over 90 miles per hour, you know, um, but sort of to the right part of the park, and he just got it really flushed. And Judge hits a ball. Uh, I don't know what the exit velocity was. I know it's out there. 111.7. There you go. I knew it was going to be over 110. So 111 miles per hour. Um, but this is the difference, you know, between how balls move off of the bat. We can get into that maybe a little bit later. I, I think that's I think that's what I want to start with this, which sure. is there was a lot of talk of, oh, you know, how did that ball not get out? But Bregman's ball did get out. And Tom Tango, Tango Tiger, uh, on Twitter 
made a good point today about this, which I did want to kind of talk about a little bit, which is there's, there's a quality of contact as far as how hard you hit a ball, but there's also a quality of contact depending on how you, how squarely you hit a ball. And they seem like, I, I get it where someone may think that the two are incredibly closely related, but they're not, not necessarily because you can hit a ball flush where you hit the ball and it goes out on a line. And we've all seen it if you've gone to games. And there are other balls that you can hit and they have a fade, they have a slice. They, you know, if you've ever played golf, you know this. You can hit two balls, one harder than the other. But if you did it with a duck hook or a slice, it's going to be a different ball. And the ball Aaron Judge hit, Jeff, it had a slice, didn't it? Like, I mean, that's to answer the question of how does an 111 mile an hour exit velo knock it out? That's what happened. Yeah. And, you know, it's not all that unusual uh, if you've watched Judge a bit um, throughout his career. He's got great opposite field power. But I think we can also agree that there's a lot of balls that are hit to the opposite field or just frankly miss hits um, that are maybe struck well. I think that's kind of what it was. It was a matter of, you know, um, how flush his barrel was, kind of the angle and the position of the barrel, even beyond sort of launch, just how the face opens up. Um, if you've swung a bat, you kind of know how this happens from time to time. Um, versus Bregman. And I think like Alex Bregman is one of the guys in baseball that's best at this. Altuve is actually another one, funny enough, in the same team. Joey Votto is a guy that's like this. Where the, I've always felt that, the distance on their their fly balls, the distance on their home runs, consistently consistently seems to sort of outperform exit velocity, strength, all that sort of thing. And you know, sort of the old school explanation for this is that you backspun the ball. Um, and I think that that's true. I think if you want to go even a level deeper, there's a level of backspin and backspin efficiency. Um, you know, I know that swing graphs, they, you know, the gentleman that, uh, that actually runs that, uh, that account actually written a little bit about this. He wrote a book about it called uh, quantitative hitting that I read. And he had sort of measured some of this sort of batted ball spin. And really what it came down to was sort of spin direction. And the thing that he looked at was there was a range of backspin that's really efficient where the ball travels further. It outperforms um, its distance versus other backspin that maybe is a higher spin rate that underperforms its backspin. So, um, you know, I think when you look at somebody like Bregman, he just has an innate ability to sort of get the most out of his backspin, um, which I think is, you know, what's sort of um, unusual about him and why at times it sort of doesn't make sense. He also isn't a perfect park where the Crawford box is there in terms of like, uh, wall height and distance and all that sort of stuff for a lot of those home runs. But um, skill-wise, I mean, he he hits balls on the inner half to his pull side as well as anybody in baseball. So we have some fun stuff that we get to be able to look at, which is, is like uh, side views and all. And like if you look at where Aaron Judge made contact with it, which is not shocking if you see that it was an opposite field, the ball is deep. And so, you know, obviously it's really hard to hit a ball oppo where you got really out in front. Obviously that's where you pull, 
But the thing that also stands out with it, and it's not a 240 FPS or better view of it, you barely see the bat as you look at it. But it is something that stands out. It's again, that what you're talking about. It's if you just get a little bit less than flush. And this is why hitting is so amazing and hitting is so hard, is, is that he hit, but also just talks to judge's strength that he was able to hit the ball that hard, that far to the opposite field without really squaring the ball up either. There's not a whole lot of players in baseball who could have hit the ball like he did to where he did in the park with that. By the way, on that play, again, this is the the small margins that these things end up on. Tucker made that play look kind of easy. Yeah. But it's not hard to imagine a, a different scenario where the outfielder just gets a little bit frazzled by the wall there. Home field advantage also helps there that sure. you're at your home park. But all of a sudden the game changes on that on that play. Yeah, and timing it up even, you know, um, guys will get on on it and not necessarily make the play. Uh, we saw that in a game a couple of weeks ago on an inside or last weekend on an inside the park home run where a really good center fielder just happened to, you know, had a good beat in the ball and just sort of misplayed it. And you have to think like how difficult it is just like making a, 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 a you know, a, a jumping catch in the end zone and controlling your body well enough that you're able to focus, make the catch, time that out, right. With the hand eye coordination mm-hmm. And then physically put yourself in a position to be at the ball at the right time as it sort of crosses your your catch radius, right? So um, kudos to to Tucker. And as you said, he, he made it look fairly effortless. And uh, I thought that was funny because it was an inning right after the the great play by by Glaber um, on that turn at second. And uh, it was like, all right, like that to me was kind of what I came away with, even more than the batted balls. It was those two great defensive plays and how differently the game could have been, you know? It, it really was a game that could have, I mean, it was close. It And by the way, on that play also at the time, I Harrison Bader tagged up on that play, made it to second. It yeah. didn't end up, it did not end up, you know, mattering, but it, at the same time, it was a very heads up play, especially because it would have been very easy to have kind of blown the, uh, the read, which is, oh, I think it's going to go out. And so I don't need to worry about being standing on the bag, which he was standing on that bag, ready to go. And it still was a bang, bang play at second. So if he'd have done anything other than that, he'd have been in trouble. But what we really want to be talking about is kind of is from Valdez and how impressive from Valdez was in that game. And we're going to do that right after a quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Jeff, Framber Valdez in this game, the, the thing that I would say is the you talked about the Astros pitching, and it really is true that I, I don't think that there is a they have Justin Verlander, who's literally one of the best pitchers of the 21st century. I think an easy Hall of Famer, who's still at the top of his game, who led the league in ERA this year. And the drop-off from having him go game one to Framber Valdez is is almost infinitesimal, it feels like right now which says something for the Astros. The thing that we keep seeing in this series so far over and over is, is the Astros pitchers are generating swings and misses that the Yankees pitchers just are not able to. And what we saw in this game was from Valdez's curveball was generating. He threw 24 curveballs, 15 swings and misses out of 24 curveballs, 15, a 63% whiff percentage. That's really good. Yeah. That's hard to do. But what is it? You love to dive into pitch data. What is it about Framber Valdez? What is it that makes him so effective? You know, I think it's um, a few things. And, you know, first off, he's got secondaries that miss bats. And he's got a fairly hard sinker. I wouldn't call it a turbo sinker. I don't think it's, it's in that range. But a hard sinker that gets, and it's a true sinker, that gets a ton of ground balls. Um, you know, overall, if we're looking at, you know, ground ball rate, you know, he's got a he's got a two-seamer that, or sinker that gets a 70% ground ball rate. And then he's got three other pitches that are 60% or above um, in terms of his secondary. So he controls contact at an elite rate, um, allows, you know, the fielders behind him to make plays, Against a team like the Yankees, that's incredibly effective if you're able to keep the ball on the ground, suppress hard contact a little bit, particularly in the air, because they do so much damage via the home run. Um, then when you mix in the fact that he throws a fairly hard curveball with really dynamic two-plane movement. I mean, you're talking about you know, ne- nearly on average negative 16 to negative 17 inches of induced vertical break with 12 inches of sweep. Um, when you have double digit numbers on your negative, you know, induced vertical break and your horizontal break. Typically those are the pitches that correlate most directly with swings and misses. Um, it's a harder curveball that it sits, you know, that 78 to, you know, 80 miles per hour um, with that kind of movement is just rare. It's an incredibly high spin pitch, um, you know, 2,800 to 2,900 RPMs on average, he mixes in a slider that's a little bit tighter, a little bit harder. So just a different look that he can give um, that has a little bit less depth, um, both, you know, uh, vertically and horizontally. And then he's got a, a decent changeup too that he kills lift on. And when um, you're a two seam guy like this, typically 
you have the ability to, to, to do that, to kill lift and get it, you know, get balls to move. So, you know, I think there's obviously some other stuff with spin direction and, you know, it seems to shifted wake and that sort of thing that are going on here. I'm not a physicist. I'm not going to dive into that. Um, but there is, you know, some, some, some elements to his pitches um, sort of because of the non-efficiency that allow him to generate this movement and this power. Uh, oh, and he, he lands everything for strikes at a pretty high rate. So when you're going against a guy that even when you make contact, it's not going to be great con- contact. He's throwing strikes consistently and challenging you. And then has, oh, three different pitch shapes that he can miss bats with. That's pretty dangerous. You, you hit on it. Like when you say about ability to throw strikes. Okay, so his strike rate with his fastball yesterday was over 80%. He threw 45 fastballs in the game. 37 of them were strikes. Let's just start with, as a hitter, you're in real trouble right now because that's I, – I, I focus too, probably too much on strike rates, but if you're over 70, like it's really good. Over 80, you, you don't even see on the pitch very often. But then on top of that, he threw 40 curveballs and 26 of them were strikes. Yeah. On a day where he's throwing his fastball for strikes like that, by the way, sitting 95, touching 97, and he's landing his curveball, which, by the way, when I say he landed his curveball 65% of the time to strikes, that's there's at least a few of those that he wasn't necessarily trying to throw for strikes. So, like, that's he's commanding those two pitches, and then you throw him that he at least keeps you worrying about a changeup as well and a slider. I mean, you know, it it's cutterish slider. That's it's just a very difficult combination to face as a hitter. But on top of that, the other thing I like about him is, is that we are in an era now where we see a lot of batter pitchers that I understand why, but like they're all power, right? It's power, 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 power. The other thing that that curveball gives him is the difference in velocity between that curveball and his fastball is significant enough that you have now also, it's really if fastball slider, if you see a guy who's throwing high 90s with a low 90s slider and that's what he throws, it's not an easy task, but at least you are geared up for velocity and you know you're going to face it. It's either going to be really hard or it's going to be hard. With Valdez, sometimes you just lock up because you're geared up for fastball and then all of a sudden you've got a pitch that's coming in 15 miles an hour slower. That's adding that velocity range that's got to be difficult for a hitter as well, I would imagine. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're looking at almost like four different velocity bands that he's working in with this entire pitch arsenal. And, you know, when I talk to pitching coaches and guys who are, you know, training pitchers and, you know, working on pitch development for younger players, a lot of it is, you know, this guy has a pretty decent four-seamer. We know we can, you know, fix that. It's just a matter of hour and power and strength or whatever. Um, he can spin it or he's got a good changeup. Uh, maybe has, you know, semblance of three pitches. And sometimes it's like adding that cutter or that two seamer or, or whatever that's sort of in between. And, you know, I think with Framer, the fact that he's like got that pitch in that 92 to like 95 range, something else with this change up that's in that 87 to like 89, 90 range, then that 82 to 83, 84, 85 range with a slider. And then the curveball, which is 77 to, to 82. It's like, 
you know, you have four velocity bands and different movement patterns that you got to pick up and, you know, it's not necessarily easy to do so. Yeah. I, I get it. It's a, it is a difficult task. That said, the Astros have a whole lot of pitchers who are difficult tasks. So Christian Javier, it looks like we'll be facing Garrett Cole in game three scheduled for tomorrow, Saturday, uh, October 22nd. That's one game where I will say, okay, advantage Yankees, but it's still, when I say advantage Yankees, it's not Christian Javier is a guy who can, who can really give you good innings. But I do think like that, that's to say, to describe that as must win is probably not even doing it justice for the uh, Yankees because you do have a little bit of a favorable matchup. It is your first game back home at Yankee stadium. But on top of that, you know, you're going to face Furlander. You know, you're going to face Fromber Valdez again in this series. And with that being the case, I would not want to face those two guys knowing you got to win both of those. And on top of that, getting that win against Javier at least means that you could, you know, you, you could end up losing one of those games and still winning the series. So yeah. it's, it's, I guess you could lose one of them. You can't lose two, but you can lose one. But it will be fun to watch. We'll be fun to watch today. We have uh, Padres versus Phillies, Joe Musgrove versus Ranger Suarez. Before we wrap up, Jeff, anything that you are looking for in particular in that game? Yeah, I think it's just a matter of, you know, um, you're going to have to deal with the with the Philly crowd. Um, Musgrove's going to have to certainly deal with that. Uh, you know, he's gone into hostile environments before and pitched well. He's had two signature games already in the playoffs can he keep that going he's pitching as well as pretty much anybody over the last few months uh and then you know how good of a game can the phillies get out of ranger suarez if he can keep this close um this phillies lineup is just so incredibly dangerous that as well as the padres bullpen is pitched if they can get to that bullpen they can do damage that's not to say that the padres can't but um i think you know first lcs game in philadelphia in a long time Fans are going to be geared up. It's a Friday night. Um, you know, it's going to be a lot of energy in that stadium, and it's a tough, tough place to play. And it's a good team. I, I bet against Philly too much in the first couple of rounds. Uh, don't want to bet against them again. But I do think that, you know, Padres obviously need to take a game here uh, in Philadelphia to, you know, get control of the series. So this is a pretty pivotal game three. It is a pivotal game three. We're looking forward to it. Got a lot of baseball this weekend. We'll be watching. We'll be. We'll break down. We'll be back on Monday to break it all down. For Jeff, I'm JJ. So long, everybody.